0: is a good software developer? What do excellent developers do? There are probably as many answers to these questions as developers in the world. So let's ask veterans and newcomers what their story look like. Let's learn directly from them. Welcome to Developer's Journey. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey the podcast shining a light on developers live from all over the world. My name is Tim Bourguignon, and today I receive Emily Bage. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining. Hi. Um, so you are a technical agile coach and a very experienced one from what I, I've read all over the place. In your career, you have embodied pretty much all the positions our industry has to offer and built a polyglot package that definitely makes me blush. From Python to Scala and to Ruby to C++, you are the author of the Coding Dojo Handbook, and a few video classes on Pluralsight, and you also regularly speak at international conferences, and um, recently on panels as well with none other than Robert C. Martin, very recently. I'm thrilled to hear your story today. So tell us, what are the, the forks, the bumps, the roadblocks, the challenges, um, and of course the successes, all the things that led to you being in such an interesting position today?
1: I'm delighted to be here and thank you for asking me to tell my story a little bit. Um, I was really interested to, about the theme of your podcast, um, that this idea of that people could find out um, from, from me where I've come from and, and how I got to where I am. So I think there's a couple of really interesting things about my career that I, I wanted to talk about. Um, one is that I've uh, moved cultures. I grew up in the uh, the U.K., and now I live in Sweden and I've had most of my career here in Sweden. And the other interesting thing, I, I, I guess, is that I'm a, a woman in a man dominated industry. And uh, that's thrown up some challenges as well. So uh, I wanted to uh, tell you a bit about my background because I, I am from the UK. I grew up near to Oxford and I went to university in Cambridge and um, I did very well at school. I uh, studied very hard, actually. And. Um, and I focused on uh, the sciences, physics. Um, I, I can boast a little bit here, actually. I got the highest grade of anyone who took the A-level physics exam that I took. So I was one of the best in the country when I was 18. Um, and then I went to Cambridge and I studied natural sciences. And I took some courses on computer science and programming. And um, I discovered when I went into those courses that I was one of the only women in the room. Um, there were a few of us, but not many. And almost all the men who were there had been programming on their home computers since they were uh, quite young. And I had no no programming experience, basically. Um, we had had a computer when I was growing up, but it was mostly my brother who uh, played with it. So um, I found myself uh, thrown into a world where I was uh, in the minority and I didn't have the experience that my peers had. And I struggled. Um, but I worked hard and I... um Got a degree in the end in um, engineering. And um, during my time at university, I also uh, met uh, my husband, Jeff, and he has been a huge influence on my career. So I have to talk about him as well. So um, Jeff is has was one of these people who's been programming since he was uh, a child. And he was very good at it when he came out into the workplace. I got a job a year before me. And so I kind of learned from him a little bit, really. I I kind of looking around for myself, looking for a job. um, I was trained in engineering, um, electrical engineering and physics, and and I was pretty good at maths. And I looked at all the jobs that were available. And and it seemed to me that there were twice as many jobs in software as there were in the the kind of more traditional engineering disciplines. And since uh, Jeff was having a good time in that career, I I decided to go for it, too. So I, I got a job as a software developer at a big consultancy, Logica. And at the time, they had just gone through a bit of a rough patch. They'd hired too many graduates. So I was there in a crowd of graduates, and we had had no work. There was uh, no clients wanting our services. So we sat on the bench, a load of us. And I got myself a Teach Yourself C++ book, and Jeff coached me in the evenings, and I learned C++. Um, Because when I got my first job, I couldn't program, you know, (laughs) I'd done all these university courses and I I knew the theory of polymorphism and object orientation. And I knew um, how to do engineering in in theory. But, you know, I still needed to learn to program. So I learned to program. And then I, um, after a few months of that, realized that they weren't going to find me any interesting uh, work. So I uh, I got a job at a small company um, doing software development. And I found myself in a team with some very competent software developers and they coached me and mentored me and taught me to program even more. So I think after you know a year or so of, of working, I was actually a competent programmer. And the fact that I hadn't programmed as a child actually didn't actually make a difference at that point. So I just want to dispel this myth that you have to program since you're very young in order to be a software developer. I think it's uh, it's actually harmful to suggest that um, you can learn software development by studying and on the job with mentoring. So um, that was a, a great experience. Um, but then um, we uh, we were living kind of um, not far from Cambridge. Um, And we realised that the IT industry in Britain is completely dominated by London and all the jobs that we were looking at that looked interesting um, to move to for the next job were in London. And we didn't want to live in London. We didn't want to commute to London. The idea of going on the underground, um, living in a big city, being a long way from, from nature just didn't appeal. So uh, we're looking, looking around at other jobs in the rest of the country and in Scotland and, and in Europe. And um, Jeff happened to be at a conference where he met somebody doing a, a job similar to the area that he was in. And uh, it seemed like an interesting company here in Gothenburg. So he applied for it. And um, he, they offered him the job. Um, the salary was slightly lower than we were getting in the UK. But we thought, the well, heck, you know, they're going to pay for our relocation costs. And they're going to help us find a flat and we can um, see what it's like to live in Sweden. Um, we'd been to Sweden on holiday, so we knew that it was a, a nice place to be on holiday, uh, beautiful nature. Um, of course, we were only there in the summer, so it was, you know, in our minds, it was sunny and, and warm and beautiful. Um, so we uh, decided to go for it. And um, I quit my job um, and without a job to go to. And we, we came to Sweden and this was, uh, early 2000 and it was the, the peak of the dot com bubble. So that was one reason why it was so easy for Jeff to get a job in Sweden and, and for me too. I found a job within, I think, three weeks of arriving. Also a consultancy company and they were just crying out for people who could program and it was, uh, such a contrast from our jobs in Britain I mean we found the the whole working life was so much more relaxed and um, I remember the the office where I was working it was down by the river and uh, things were going very well for this consultancy company and uh, we would on a Friday afternoon we'd uh, take big cans of coffee from the office and uh, some cakes and we go and sit on the quay by the river in the sunshine eating the cakes and drinking the coffee and um looking at the beautiful view and you know everyone was so relaxed and that was just an ordinary friday and then everyone went home early on fridays um the other days on time there was there was not um a huge amount of overtime at that time it was just seemed really nice really good quality of life um we, I was able to cycle to work on a beautiful cycle route. Um, uh, I lost a lot of weight. It was uh, just so, so much a better lifestyle than we had in Britain. Um, and we uh, basically decided that this was a good thing and we should stay. We um, After a, a little while, we bought a house and decided to stay in Sweden. So uh, that was a big move um, from the, the working culture perspective.
0: Do you attribute this, um, this culture to the company or to the to the country?
1: It was the country that uh, appealed to us. It was the lifestyle, um, the access to nature, um, the cycle routes, uh, the um, the culture of going home on time, and not having to sit on a, an underground train. You know, um, so uh, we we were very happy here, and then we also very much wanted to learn the language because we thought. If we're going to be here, we should get the most out of it. So we studied quite hard, actually, the first year or so to learn the language, both of us. Um, and then um, the economy went for a downturn and uh, I was made redundant. And at that point, I knew enough of the language that I could get a job um, quite easily still. And then um, we, we stayed. So I... Uh, So that's kind of like personal journey a bit. Let me talk a little bit more about the technology and the programming. So I first learned C++ and then then the small software company was Java programming. But then they also gave me the opportunity to learn Python um, on the job. So I spent, uh, uh, in 99 this was, I learned Python from online tutorials and and, uh, feedback from my peers. And then when in 2002, when I was made redundant, I got a job at AstraZeneca working. And one of the things I could speak Swedish and English well, and I knew Python and Java. So uh, that got me that job, basically. Because I was working on the uh, Python system uh, for computational chemistry. And it was uh, really ahead of its time. AstraZeneca had the resources to buy a huge compute grid. So we had um, at the time a very large uh, computing resource for um, doing heavy calculations and machine learning. So we were we were using Bayesian neural networks and um, support vector machines to make predictions about small molecule structure. And of course, I'm not a chemist, so I worked very closely with some chemists who did know about all this stuff. And uh, I knew, but I knew software and I knew uh, Python and we built a very successful system internally to AstraZeneca running on this grid. Um, and we actually won an award at AstraZeneca for our work there. So that was um, a great achievement. Um, actually, I do, the thing is, I also, um, at that point, I, I had my first child and I remember um, receiving the award. I was there with my two month old baby. Um, I would just come into the office specially to receive the award, and I was sitting on the, the front row, um, breastfeeding my baby, and uh, and then I handed the baby to my uh, manager uh, to hold while I went up onto the stage to shake hands with the uh, CTO and get the award. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that was um, that was a really friendly work work life balance friendly company. Um, I got a lot of support from my managers. And um, I was able to work part time uh, for. Uh, so I was home for about a year with uh, each of my two children and uh, worked part time for a period of about 10 years. Um, and that uh, was absolutely crucial for me to be able to continue my career and work part time. And it was possible because the companies I worked for were supportive, but also because the general Swedish culture is supportive of families and the government is supportive. So the politics of Sweden is that you get a lot of paid parental leave um, and it's expected that you take it. Um, You by law have the right to work part time when you have small children. Um, Your employer can't say no, actually. So even though my employers were uh, supportive, and that was that was good. um It's it's not atypical for Sweden. This is normal that working mothers are supported. Um, I never had an issue with childcare. The childcare is uh, widely available, uh, very affordable, and good quality. Um, and that is also part of the politics of Sweden. I, I look at my contemporaries in the UK, who have also had children and the struggles they went into to find childcare. Um, the amount of juggling they had to do, the amount of money they had to spend on it. um, I feel that I made a very crucial choice there when I moved to Sweden to move to a country that would really support uh, working women in the the politics and in the culture. And the other aspect of it, of course, is that my husband um, took a lot of time off as well. Uh, Jeff was... um, uh, obviously, he also grew up in the u k he's uh, he's not part of this Swedish culture originally, and yet he he also embraced this idea that is common in Sweden that dads stay home with small children that is expected and it 's normal and supported by uh, employers so he took uh, many months off with each of our children as well and I think uh, that made a a difference for me of course as well because when he was at home. I could uh, also focus on my career a bit more. So, um, yeah. So, um, but I mean, the thing is, I th- there was all this support, but I was I was taking full advantage of it and and pushing the boundaries, and not worrying so much about money. I mean, that's one of the great privileges of having a good job in the software industry. You earn quite well. So, instead of maximising my career for for money. I've been um, trying to maximise it for for having a family, having good relationships with my family, um, having time for myself and my own hobbies. Um, and also, of course, I'm quite ambitious to have a, a career and make a difference in the world. Um, and trying to balance all those things has not been easy always, but um, I really appreciate the support I've had. Um, and i have also from my wider family, so I would go to conferences like... Um, I went to a, uh, the first Europython that was in Gothenburg in 2004. My my baby at that time was like three months old. And my parents came over and stayed at our house and looked after uh, the baby while I went to the conference. Um, in fact, they came to the conference with me and, and took the, the baby while I was um, at the conference. And they did the same the following year when it was in Gothenburg again, I think. And generally, I've I've been to a lot of conferences with Jeff and taking the children with us and bringing family members and people to look after the children. Um, Because I found that going to conferences has been a really, really important part of my career. Um, And it's uh, yeah. So I want to mention um, the XP conference in 2002. It was in Sardinia. And um, 2002 was just when the economy went down in Sweden and I lost my job. So my employer didn't pay for it, but Jeff's employer did pay for him to go. So I uh, paid my own plane tickets and my own conference tickets and stayed in his hotel room and uh, we both went to this conference. And that turned out to be one of the most important decisions in my whole career, actually, because at that conference I met um, Kent Beck, Martin Fowler. Joshua Kerievsky, the Pop and Dix, um, all these leading lights in the Agile movement. And I, um, Michael Feathers, uh, Lauren Bossavit all these people who I sat and chatted with and um, talked about um, Agile and extreme programming with, made a huge impact on me to see how they had arranged their careers and how they were um, being successful with this new way of building software. Um, I should wind back. Actually, I discovered Extreme Programming back in uh, 2000 in my first job in Sweden. Um, We uh, had someone on the team who'd read Kent's book and recommended it to us all. So we all read it and thought, yeah, we should do this. So we tried out as much of XP as we could on this project. And we had a great time. And I felt that we were being really productive and writing really good software. And I wanted to work that way. Um, and then this XP conference in 2002, it, it all seemed this is is uh, the future. This is the way I want to work. So then when I um, started AstraZeneca, I, I was uh, trying to work this way and write lots of tests. And, and it was a really successful project. Um, and then uh, after, oh, I, I spent quite a while at AstraZeneca. I think I was there seven, eight years Um I decided it was time to move on, and I uh, went to a consultancy company. And all this time I've been uh, doing lots of, of uh, testing and, and working agile ways as much as I could and trying to persuade others to work agile. Um, and then in uh, 2005 at the XP conference, so I was going to XP conferences like every year. Uh, they were so um, such a good crowd of people that I met there. And I, the XP 2005, there was the Coding Dojo with um, Lauren Borsovit and Emmanuel Gayo who organised it, and Bob Martin was there at the uh, the Coding Dojo, and I thought this is this is a really good thing. This is a way to interest people and teach people test-driven development, something that I'd really been struggling with, um, both at AstraZeneca and um, and before actually. So I decided that I should learn how to do this technique. So I persuaded AstraZeneca to um, hire Laurent and bring him to Sweden uh, for a two day workshop with my team and some other people. And from him, I learned this uh, technique of leading a coding dojo. So I started doing it for myself at user groups in the evenings because I wasn't getting the support really at AstraZeneca to do this. And I felt that I didn't want to try it out on my colleagues before I'd really got the technique. So I started doing it at at, uh, user groups um, and met more people in Gothenburg who were interested in this. And um, that was also one reason for moving on from AstraZeneca. I I just wasn't meeting people who were really interested in this stuff. Whereas I was elsewhere, so I, I moved on, and then um, after a couple of years at a consultancy company, I, I worked at uh, moved to a small boutique company doing Ruby developments and further increased my skills at, at uh, TDD because they were they were pairing everything, they were doing loads of um, tests, and then I went solo and went found my own company, and that's. Um, That gave me a huge amount of freedom, actually. That was 2010. Um, And my children were quite small at the time, and I was still working part-time. And uh, having my own company seemed very attractive because I could completely control my hours and which clients I took, and I could also devote a lot of time to uh, studying and improving my skills and writing my book. So at that point, I felt I knew enough about Coding Jojos to write a book about it. So during this time, I was earning very little, actually. Jeff was supporting me. Um, I have, that's a huge privilege I had that um, my husband supported me in that. So I wrote my book. I did my Pluralsight courses. Um, I took some consulting work as well, started running coding dojos in companies, uh, training software developers on work time and uh, making some money off of that. So that was that was a good time. But after a while, I realized that actually um, – being on my own in my own company, it was it was good from some points of view, the flexibility, uh, the hours I could choose. But actually, I wasn't making much money and I felt that I was I was ready to dive into being in a team again. I, I really missed having colleagues. Um, so at that point, I, I got a job at Pegero uh, working in a, a architecture team and I worked on the um, automated testing for their product. They were just migrating to microservices. So it was really exciting technologies. That was one thing that really attracted me to work there. And uh, so we, um, this was 2013, uh, microservices was pretty new. We were what, the first company in Sweden to deploy in production with Docker. Um, so I learned a lot of new, exciting technologies there. We learned, learned Scala, that the company really invested in us. Um, everyone in the IT department, I got paid time to learn Scala and to do an online course, um, which was brilliant. So uh, I really um, liked working there and I stayed a few years. But then I I started getting itchy feet again. Um, I think actually I probably should be a consultant. I I like meeting new people and new teams and working with different things. So I went back to consultancy and I joined Pragma. And uh, Pragma is uh, my current employer. It's um, originally from Denmark, a uh, consultancy specialising in continuous delivery in DevOps. And um, also with a vision that, that people should learn things on work time. We have uh, time allocated for that. We have inter- conferences, internal conferences, and also conferences where we invite external speakers and external participants. And we have sponsors, you know, it's a big, you know, conference. So um, that's uh, been brilliant, actually. I've um, really enjoyed working at Pragma and having colleagues who are also enthusiastic about learning and improving. Um, and that's uh, been a continuation, I guess, of, of the theme. Um, I should also talk about technical agile coaching, which is what I'm doing now. Um, so I was. I've been speaking at conferences for for many years now and uh, after my book um that kind of took off and I've um, been traveling around Europe mostly. And uh, I met along my travels Llewellyn Falco, who is uh, also a very technical um, conference speaker and uh, invents tools and does, um, he's, he's invented approval testing and that was the, the real connection point actually because um, my husband, Jeff, invented a testing tool uh, called text test uh, And he, um, back in like 2002, 2003 time, we were speaking about that at the XP conference. And that's one thing that we've, we've spoken about a lot because I've, I've used it um, uh, over the years. And it's a style of, of testing which is a little different from unit testing. And Llewellyn had named it Approval Testing. And the more we learned about his tool, we realized it was the same technique. And it was a different tool that he was he'd invented compared with what Jeff had invented. But it was the same basic principles. So uh, that was very exciting to meet Llewellyn and discover so much overlap between what he knew and what we knew. And um, that led to me getting an invite to go and join Llewellyn at his uh, client uh, last March. So Llewellyn um, had me fly over to the US and I don't generally travel outside Europe so this was a um, a big thing for me to actually travel for this and I spent two weeks in the US and I worked with Llewellyn closely at his clients and saw the way that he was, he was coaching and I thought that it was um, really good what he was doing. He seemed to be picked up on a lot of ideas that I'd seen milling around and, and coalesced it into a, a coaching format that really was working. I could see that uh, the the developers he was working with were learning techniques like refactoring, um, testing, uh, clean design, and even uh, beginning to do test-driven development. So I've been going around for years teaching test-driven development and uh, doing coding dojos. And I've always found that people can learn the theory and they can get good at carters, but then there's always this gap between that and the production code. Um, And there's always this... uh, um, barrier because the production code is not conducive to writing tests usually. It's not designed for it. And there's a huge amount of, um, history there, which is hard to overcome when you want to start working test driven. So what I found that Llewellyn was doing was that he was combining the, the coding dojos with just one hour a day of, of like coding dojo with uh, an exercise with, um, mob programming where he would uh, work He would sit with a a team that was mob programming together in their production code. And the and would be coaching them and getting them to do the refactorings that we needed, getting them to to learn the the refactoring shortcuts, um, to start to write tests, to start to understand where their design was flawed and they needed to improve it, and so that they could start to do TDD. And I, I saw that this was actually successful in bridging this gap to the production code. So, um, I, uh, I'd known about mob programming. It's, it's similar to some of the things you do in the coding dojo, but I hadn't really seen how powerful it could be in that, in that context. So when I came back from, from, uh, the U S in March, I, um, went to Pragma and said, look, I want to do this. I want to work this way. Um, and they were very supportive and helped me to, um, tell my current client that, uh, Perhaps I wasn't the best choice for them anymore. So I uh, quit my current client and then I spent um, a few months, a couple of months um, looking for a new client who would let me work this way. And I found one and I started working in August as a technical agile coach, basically copying the exact coaching method that Llewellyn showed me. And so far, um, I'm very pleased with how it's going and I'm really excited about this and that this is a way for Developers, ordinary developers who are in teams building ordinary software, working with very ordinary problems of design that isn't conducive to testing. And I can step into that team for a couple of weeks and mob program with, with the people there and show them better ways to build their software and coach them in better techniques, teach them, uh, test driven development in, in code carters. And then um, at the end of a two week slot, they have they've moved on slightly from where they were before. The code is a little bit better. They've learned a few new skills um, they have a better ambition of what they want, where they want to be. And then I uh, leave them for a couple of weeks because I need some time myself when I'm not at the client to go and write my blogs and do podcast interviews and go to conferences and then I can go back. Um, and join those same teams again and give them another two week push in the right direction. And this, um, yeah. So this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing technical agile coaching. And, um, at the moment, I think this is, uh, the best way I know so far to teach test driven development and, and for myself to have a happy, happy life. So, um, <laughs> that's, um, yeah. I've just given you a monologue for like half an hour. I hope this was interesting.
0: <laughs> yes, you did. And it was very interesting. Uh, one thing I, I would like to highlight is um, you, you spoke a lot about, about um, technical details and, and, um, and technology. But one, um, one thing that comes all the time is uh, people. Um, you mentioned very early mentoring. You mentioned the, um, the role of your, of your husband and the role of your, uh, of your parents and the role of the society around you and then the roles of colleagues and then the role, um, all those, um, those, uh, um, um, giant minds of our industry, Ken Beck, Fowler, Poppendix, etc., uh, played in this 2002 conference and then again in 2005. And then the role, um, Lewis fanko uh, has played in your life. It's, it's amazing to see that, um, this has been a trend in your life. People, um, around you, um, um, giving you different hin- um, hints and, and, and ideas and, and you reacting on this. I, I found it fascinating. Um, this is, is really nice to see thank you for that
1: um yes i i owe a great debt to all of these people um, and i'm really pleased that i to have met them and to have studied their work and, and read the stuff they've written and i do encourage um yeah i've i've uh, i want to encourage people to read and to uh, to learn from from other people in this industry and Yes, that was a, a learning for me that I, I tried to be an independent consultant in the same way as um, I've seen people like Dan North and, and um, uh, Bob Martin and the Poppendiecks have all been kind of quite independent consultants going around. But that, that wasn't for me. I'm, I'm much happier when I have colleagues, people I can talk to and bounce ideas off before I start to write and to, uh, to speak at conferences and so on. Yeah. fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> um,
0: we're kind of reaching the end of the time box already, but uh, there's one question I would I would like to ask you. Um, if if you were to hire someone, or if you were searching for a colleague, or, or, or if you were searching for um, uh, people or colleagues with the uh, with potential, what you uh, what would you be um, looking for? Um, kind of of traits or skills or uh, mindset.
1: Well, it's it's good that you ask this because Pragma is hiring. I am looking for colleagues actively, and um, I, the kind of people I'm looking for are um, keen to learn. Uh, people who who read, who reflect, who are interested and uh, learn stuff. Um, you don't necessarily need to be already a, a master programmer with a lot of experience, but you do need to show uh, an interest um, and. I would particularly look for people who are good at communicating. Uh, people who can express their ideas and lo- what they've learned. Um, it also helps, of course, if you know test-driven development. That is quite a basic skill, but um, it's it's important to uh if I, I don't want to say that you have to know be really good with that, because I know that people haven't had the opportunities to learn that in their career always. And I think um, if you're not getting the opportunity to learn those kind of skills, then you should move jobs to somewhere where you can um, and or maybe invest some of your time and money in 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 that. But I know that's not always feasible for everyone. So I want to, basically I'm looking for people who want to learn. Mm-hmm. Do
0: you have a tip for the, uh, for the audience how to um, to improve their communication skills, for instance? How, how would you um, go about doing this?
1: Practice. Um, so have a blog, write something, um, get feedback, think about the feedback. Um, give speeches, get feedback, think about it. It's it's um, a lot of these things are. It's like any skill. You you improve by practice and by um, acting on feedback.
0: I totally agree. <laughs> um, okay, what's on your plate? Do you have some talks coming in?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I speak at quite a lot of conferences. Um, and coming up, I've got Internet Dog and I in Stockholm in November. Um, I, hopefully, I'm going to be at the Craft Conference next May in, in Budapest. Um, other than that, I haven't got anything actually in my calendar, but I'm sure I will be speaking at other conferences. Um, what I'm doing a lot of at the moment is writing blog posts, And they are appearing on Prakma's company blog at the moment. And then a few months later, I I copy them onto my personal blog, which is Coding is Like Cooking. And uh, I'm probably going to write quite a few blog posts in the upcoming months. So do watch out for them. I'm on Twitter and I always tweet when I write a blog. So following me there is a way to to get information on that.
0: Is Twitter the the best Um, way to get a reach on you?
1: Yes, do get me on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter, probably more than I should. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, I've also want to highlight my uh, GitHub page. Um, On GitHub, I have a lot of exercises uh, that you can download for free to help you to learn TDD. And uh, they're available in lots of different languages. And if you download it and like the exercise and discover it's not available in the language that you want to do it in, I'm delighted to receive pull requests with translations. Um, that's a real benefit for me and makes it worthwhile me putting these exercises out there is I get pull requests with translations and improvements. So uh, do have a look at my GitHub page as well. I'm Emily Bache on GitHub and Emily Bache on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm.
0: I will add all the links to the show notes. Well, did Thanks. we forget any topic?
1: I think I talked a lot about the two things I wanted to talk about, the um, changing cultures and the benefits that had for my career, particularly as a woman. And um, just encourage anyone, uh, particularly from a minority, that you can be successful in this business, even if you didn't start programming when you were like 12. Um, And it's, uh, it's not about that. Awesome.
0: Well, Emily, thank you very much. This has been Developer's Journey, and we'll see each other in two weeks. Bye-bye. Dear listener, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and much more. And if you like what we do, please help your fellow developers discover the podcast by rating it and writing a comment on those platforms. Thanks again, and see you in two weeks.